Welcome, friends, to another edition of Economic Update, a weekly program devoted to the economic dimensions of our lives. I'm your host, Richard Wolff. Today's program is going to be dedicated to one particular topic, recession. It's what we're in now. It's what the country is fearful about. It's what we've been talking about across the mass media. And it's time for some careful analysis of what this is and where it is taking us. So let's begin. Recession. Here's the simple definition. It's when the economy turns down, usually suddenly, over a very few number of weeks and maybe a few months, large numbers of people are either unemployed or forced to take part-time work or finding their jobs in danger. Small businesses go out of business. Medium and large businesses find their activities shrinking. They can't produce as much. They can't sell as much. Because of all of that, the tax revenues received by local communities and by the country as a whole start shrinking, which means that the government is pinched and can't do what it normally would like to do and is asked to do by the people. In other words, it's an economic downturn. In fact, the word recession has lots of synonyms. Downturn, bust, crash, crisis, depression. I could go on. Why is it that we have so many words? Why is it that I'm talking about recession? Well, recession is part of the capitalist economic system. It's as old as capitalism itself. Three, four hundred years, if you count the beginning of capitalism in 17th and 18th century England. We have an agency here in the United States called the National Bureau of Economic Research, which actually keeps track of when the recessions occur, and their research shows that they've occurred on the average for every four to seven years, pretty much wherever capitalism has settled in. Now, of course, that's an average, so sometimes it can take longer, sometimes it can take shorter. Moreover, recessions vary. Sometimes the number of people losing their jobs is relatively small, at least at the beginning. Sometimes it's catastrophic. For example, the recession in 2020, a bare two and a half years ago, was catastrophic. Huge millions, tens of millions of Americans lost their job in a matter of weeks. Now, that had something to do with the pandemic and COVID, as well as a crash, but that one was a doozy. By comparison, the one we're in now is, at least so far, less severe. Recessions also vary in how long they last. Some, it's only a few months. Some, it's years. The Great Depression, no surprise it got called that, lasted from 1929 to about 1940-41. So that's 11 years and give you an idea of how bad they can get. The other side of recession in an economic system called capitalism is inflation. Then suddenly it's a kind of crazy time. We're in that now too, in the sense that prices are going up, so businesses are eager to hire people and invest and produce because whatever the price they can charge now that's profitable, that's going to be higher 
two weeks, two months, two years from now, making their profits even bigger. So inflation is a kind of overspeeding of the economy, the flip side of which is a recession. And here's the worst thing about capitalism's instability. It lurches from one to the other. Indeed, we are right now, as I'm talking with you, coming to the end of a good year or so of inflation and finding ourselves plunging into a recession. That's very common. The recessions provoke inflations. The inflations provoke recessions. This is an unstable economy. Indeed, by the way, you will sometimes see, and that's happened more and more in recent years, simultaneously recession and inflation. And we have a word for that now called stagflation. It's the mixture of the word stagnation, economy going nowhere, plus prices going nuts. That's pretty much what we have now. The way to summarize this is to say that capitalism is an extraordinarily unstable system. In the lectures I used to give in the university, I would at this point lean across the podium and say to my students, if you lived with a roommate as unstable as capitalism is, you would have moved out long ago. It's a little harder to move out of an economic system. Recessions have troubled capitalism, as I said, from the beginning, and they trouble both the employer class and the employee class. In a peculiar way, recessions are something nobody wants, but that this system imposes on all of us over and over again, which, as I'll say later in the program, is a very good reason to question a system that works like this. How does it hurt employers? Well, employers can only make profits if they got people working and if they can sell what they produce. Recession is precisely those moments when they can't employ the people they used to because they can't sell what they are capable of producing. So they lay workers off. That's not good for the workers either, of course, but it's not good for them and their profits. Also, it makes a mockery of capitalism's claim to be efficient. You can be very efficient when you're working, but all of that is lost and negated if for long periods of time you're not working. Your machines sit idle and your workers are sitting at home worried about their future. And it doesn't do anything for your profits either. So employers don't like recessions. And what about employees? Well, they take the real lion's share of the suffering. They lose their jobs. They lose the security that comes with a job. They lose the income that they get paid for a job. Their lives are disrupted. And think about it. If they happen every four to seven years, your life is disrupted on average every four to seven years, unless a special arrangement is made, and I'll come back to that in a minute. And here's what we know from research. During recessions, alcoholism gets worse in our culture should be no surprise. Domestic disputes get worse. Divorce rises. Abuse of family members goes up. Loss of self-esteem happens as workers out of work blame themselves rather than an unstable system for doing this. And you know, people who get repeatedly thrown out of work every four to seven years 
lose their whole relationship to the labor process. They become known as an underclass, as the people who don't look for work anymore because they've simply been traumatized by unemployment too many times. It's so horrible, unemployment, that in many societies, they've arranged things so a specialized minority is the one that's fired when the economy goes down, gets then rehired if they're lucky when it turns back up, only to be refired again when it turns down. I call them the shock absorbers of capitalism's instability. In the United States, it's worked like this. Immigrants, African-Americans, and women have been the ones brought into the labor force when it's booming and thrown out of work the minute the next recession hits. That's why they're marginal to the economic system. Their incomes are lower. Their place in the pecking order is lower. Their wealth accumulation is lower. That's right. They're the shock absorbers thrown back to their country of origin when we don't want them here because we don't have jobs, or thrown back into the household if they're women, or thrown back into the ghettos of African-American communities. In other words, there's a link between the instability of capitalism and the racism and sexism and anti-immigration surges we keep noticing in our culture. Well, something as awful for both employers and employees as this built-in instability, has had the logical result. Capitalists are afraid because one of the items I haven't mentioned until this moment that follows from recession is that more and more people question the system. What kind of a system is that that presents us with this lurching back and forth, inflation, recession, recession, inflation? What kind of a system is this? Maybe the solution isn't to go fix this and that one and this little detail and that, but maybe to change a system to get one that isn't so unstable in the first place. And that really frightens the people who like capitalism, who sit at the top, the 1% the rich folks, the powerful folks, the ones who are never unemployed. And so they have tried everything to overcome this problem. For 300 years, they've been trying to figure out how to have a capitalism without instability. And obviously, it's a big fat failure because we're in one right now. So obviously, for the 300 years, they didn't figure it out. The closest they came was when a very smart economist named John Maynard Keynes, a British economist, in the depths of the Depression of the 1930s, came up with a, a set of things he called the monetary policy and fiscal policy that the government could do not to stop the cycles, obviously we haven't learned how to do that, but to make them a little less awful than they might otherwise have been if the government didn't intervene. And that's why we have a Federal Reserve to come in there and manipulate the money supply. So if, the, if there's a recession and people are losing their jobs, they bring the, quickly bring down the interest rate so it's cheaper for companies to borrow. Hopefully they'll borrow more and they'll hire workers and the recession won't be so bad. Or 
as we're seeing now, if there's an inflation, they jack up the interest rates to make it harder for businesses and people to borrow, more expensive, hoping that by having less borrowing, there'll be less buying, and that will make the sellers of goods less likely to jack up the prices. Wow. All that this is, is late in the day, make the cycle, because that's what it is, the business cycle, less awful and horrible than it might otherwise have been. And that's not enough many times. That's why President Nixon back in 71, when we had another horrible inflation, of course, took a very different step, not raising, lowering interest rate. What he did is he went on radio and television and said, as of tomorrow morning, nobody raises a price, nobody raises a wage. If you do it, we'll arrest you and throw you in the clink. Well, let's stop the inflation on a dime because there is no problem solving these problems. It's a political question of whether the system is able to focus and make a decision to deal with these problems. What capitalism has shown us in three or 400 years of its history is it lacks the capacity to do that. And that's a flaw and failure of the system. We've come to the end of the first part of today's show about recessions. Before we move on, I want to remind everyone that Economic Update is produced by Democracy at Work, a small donor-funded nonprofit media organization celebrating 10 years of creating system-challenging content. For example, my book called Understanding Socialism, which tackles the taboos of socialism while revealing the often hidden histories of socialism, and it offers a way forward by establishing real democracy in the workplace. It's available with all the other things we produce at our website, democracyatwork.info. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media, join our mailing list, and of course, join our growing community of invaluable supporters who make everything we do possible. Please stay with us. I will be right back to talk what we can do about these recessions as well. Welcome back, friends, to the second half of today's economic update devoted to the topic of recessions and what they mean. Before the break, I was ending up a segment of this program talking about how, where, and when governments have had to go far beyond Keynesian monetary and fiscal policy to intervene more actively because the system was lurching too far into the either or of inflation and recession. I gave the example of President Nixon's intervention in 1971. Here's another intervention that has happened from time to time, most recently and most dramatically under the presidency of Franklin Roosevelt in the 1930s. The recession then was so bad that it got an even worse name to signal how bad it was, depression. A recession, one jokester once said, is when your neighbor gets unemployed. A depression is when you do. And that was what happened in the 1930s. And so the president stepped in and did something remarkable. He didn't wait to raise or lower interest rates. He did that, but he knew that wasn't enough. And he didn't move around with taxes. And he didn't do that so much either. I mean, he did it, but he didn't rely on it. 
he took a massive step. He decided if the private capitalist sector is in a recession so bad that millions of our citizens can't get a job, and at the same time, we don't have enough food, clothing, and shelter for our people, which means we have the people who could produce it, we have the raw materials and factories who could allow it to be made, and we have the need for the output, but we have a capitalist system that can't put these things together. The people who want the work, the machinery and raw materials that are available to meet the needs we know we have. So I'm going to step in and do it myself as president. And between 1933 and 1941, somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 15 million Americans were hired by the federal government to do useful things, not to make a profit, not to make a profit. One more time, not to make a profit but to do useful things, because those two things are not the same. Well, you know, the failure of capitalism to solve recessions, to prevent them from happening, like we're going through one now, that has led all kinds of economists to come up with a truly impressive list of excuses, of diversions, of ways of basically hiding the failure of this system to fix its own horrible instability. I'm going to give you just a sample. About a hundred years ago, my fellow economists, the profession that I've been in all my life, came up with a series of sunspot theories. I kid you not. Mature men. There weren't any women in those days in our profession. Smart men began to show that there was a correlation between strange behavior of the gases that comprise the sun and our business cycles, wanting to make us believe that, you know, the business cycle is somehow, get ready, natural. You know, it's just the way it is. It's nothing that anybody can fix. Uh, we shouldn't be angry at capitalism, obviously, because it's just part of nature. We make about as much sense as being angry at capitalism because it rained on the day you had set aside for your picnic. If that wasn't odd enough, here comes another one. Moon. Yeah, well, if the sun is workable, why not make a career for yourself as an economist by coming up with a theory that says the shape of the moon, the intensity of light from the moon, uh, the different shapes of the moon during the seasons, all of these things shape the economics, or they shape maybe farming, and the farming cycle then shapes the economy. Notice, these are theories of the business cycle, this lurching from inflation to recession back again, that exempt capitalism as a system, the whole employer-employee way of organizing production from any criticism at all. Here's another way. You give a name to each economic recession. Give it its own name and hope that nobody notices that while the names change, every four to seven years we have one of these things. So, for example, in this century, 21st century, the first crash recession we had in the spring of 2000 got the name dot-com crash. 
as if it was the peculiar result of something happening to dot-com corporations in the stock market. A mere eight years later, when we had the next horrible recession, it was called the subprime mortgage recession, as if it was something about mortgages. And then two years ago, we were told we were in a uh COVID recessions. Oh, goodness. Give it a separate name and maybe people will think each time it has something to do with the stock market or with mortgages or with diseases. Just not an economic system that works this way. And the latest ones, I don't want to leave anybody out, are the people who actually believe that the economic troubles of this country, fundamentally its instability, can be blamed on immigrants, as if somehow, in some magic no one specifies, they're the ones at fault. And the latest one, of course, the war in Ukraine and Russia. Why not? The notion that capitalism has in it mechanisms that make it crash every four to seven years is what is being avoided here. And we're not going to avoid it. We're going to jump right into it. And why? Because what capitalism does can be explained by my telling you a, a little metaphorical story, if you permit me. You're walking down the street, and to take a shortcut, you go through a dark alley. Part of you knows that probably not a good idea, but you're in a rush, so you go. And true enough, halfway down the dark alley, an unpleasant person jumps out at you and says to you, okay, you can either die at the end of my gun or die at the end of my knife, but it's your choice. Now, you know and I know that if you sit there agonizing or you stand there trying to figure out which way to go, you've made a big mistake because what you need and want is not to face that choice. Capitalism says, well, you can choose inflation or recession. Literally, as I'm talking to you, the leaders of our economy in Washington and the corporate headquarters are debating that question. Which is worse, letting the inflation keep going with all the consequences of that or plunging the economy into a recession by jacking up interest rates with all the bad things that flow from that? We are being asked to choose between two options, neither of which we want and neither of which we have to suffer. Look, the mechanism in capitalism that causes this is not complicated. When things are going well, companies are growing and hiring workers, they buy stuff from other companies who feel, oh good, my economy is going well, I can sell what I produce, so they hire people. Everybody gets in on it. Every individual capitalist cashes in. But of course, if they all do this, and they all hire, and they all produce more, it's really only a matter of time until the exploding output exceeds what is able to be sold. Then suddenly, companies are stuck with unsaleable inventory, and they cut back, and they lay off workers. And of course, when they lay off workers, those workers have no income, and they can't go to the store and buy the way they did. So somebody else who expected to sell to them won't be able to. It's a snowball effect down. It was a snowball up, 
It was a snowball down. That's how the system works. That's why it's like that. And the way to stop it is to change the system. Look, I'm modest. All I would ask is that in our national conversation, we don't just talk about the knife or the gun. We don't just talk about monetary policy, fiscal policy, a little more of this, a little. Why don't we also talk about changing the system? And what would that mean? Well, let me end with that today by talking about how we could set up a system that does not behave this way. First, we need a system that puts a priority not on the profit of the individual enterprise, but on the well-being of the economy as a whole. Capitalism is a system that puts into power a tiny group of people, the 1%, who run the businesses and who run them as they tell us for the profitability. That's the portion of the revenue of the company that they get. They don't run the business for the workers. They would laugh at the idea. But the workers are the majority. The workers are the majority of the country. If you want the economic system to work for the majority, you can't put it in the hands of a tiny minority. This is not rocket science. The problem with capitalism is the profit-driven behavior of the 1% who own and run the enterprises is a competitive system They all rush to produce when the economy is good. They overproduce. They can't sell it. Boom, it goes down. Each of them is desperately trying to survive, and they cut their employees as fast as they hire them when the wind changes, and we're all left with an economic system lurching from pillar to post, from inflation to recession, and trying to make a life in between these things. Yes, I know. We put the women and the African-Americans and the immigrants in a special place. We make the instability hit them the hardest so that it hits the rest of us less hard. But that's nothing to be proud of. You have a better solution. Change the system so it isn't so unstable. And the way you do that, make full employment a priority. Make keeping your job a priority. And if there isn't a demand for whatever it is you help to produce in whatever enterprise you work, then the system trains you, helps pay for moving you to something else that's useful in our community, that doesn't hurt you personally, and that doesn't create the ultimate absurdity of a recession when masses of people are thrown out of work so that they cannot produce, even though the machines and raw materials are sitting there, the output that the society needs. We know what our needs are, we know how to produce, and the people want to work. A system that can't put that together, that every four to seven years throws people out and then tries to fob us off on the crazy idea that sunspots or moonspots or Ukraine or something else is to blame is a desperate system that does not want to and is not able to look at itself. We need a political movement 
that puts capitalism up there as the problem, that sees in an economic system that puts people in charge right at the beginning, worker co-ops, that's why we advocate for them, because that takes the majority in each and every enterprise, every factory, every office, every store, and says, you're going to run this. And you're going to run it together with others whose job it is to give us all a job, to give us all a secure income, move us around as needed. But don't tell us we have to accept inflations, recessions, and stagflations. It's unnecessary, and it should have been put aside long ago. Thank you all for your attention. I think this topic of recession deserves the consideration we've tried to provide. And as always, I look forward to speaking with you again next week.